Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 51. At, uh, yours truly, Sam Thillman, joined by um, another uh, usual member of the podcast, Zach Faldor. Zach, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing good, man. I tell you what, your Hawks just keep, uh, they just keep performing. Your, your, uh, your future's bet still alive, huh? Yeah, and... Funny, funny enough, you mentioned that I'm doing an NBA.com like bracket challenge. Did it before the the playoffs started. Hey, I'm a hundred, I think a hundred fourth, and it, I think it's out of it's either out of a pool or first place takes like a million dollars. So, wow, yeah, Hawks. I need Hawks Suns Hawks to win, and <laughs> I I hope it's a pool because I don't know how likely my chances of actually winning the thing. But yeah, pool, like I, I don't mind it at all. Yeah. I mean, your hundred fourth place. I mean, I figure that's gotta be out of like tens of thousands of entries, right? Yeah, I you got you gotta think. I think like last time I checked, like before before this past round, I was like some in the thousands, and now with the Hawks beating the 76ers, it just elevated me. So yeah, feeling pretty good. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah, I got a couple months ago, or not a couple months ago, but like as the playoffs started. I threw a couple bucks. the The Suns were plus nine hundred, so I threw a couple bucks on them. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm 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 pulling for them. I don't know. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. But yeah, it's been a good playoff so far. Yeah, no doubt. But moving on to the uh, Mac General News segment, we've got some Olympics news to talk about. Two Mac athletes did qualify for the Olympics. If Zach, you want to take us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, exciting stuff here. Uh, from the Mac. So anybody who, who follows the Olympics or, you know, has, has been following the sports world here over the last week, you know that the Olympic trials are going on for, for track and field and for, for a lot of sports across the board uh, right now. But yeah, two former Mac athletes uh, clinched their place on the U.S. Uh, Olympic team and will represent uh, the, the America in, uh, in Tokyo here next month. The first one being uh, former Akron great uh, Colin Murphy, or I'm sorry, Clayton Murphy, Clayton Murphy of Akron, uh, let, won his meet, uh, heat in the 800 meters uh, this past Monday, a world leading time of one minute, 43 seconds. So um, he was the 2016 Olympic bronze medalist in this event. And then uh, he uh, will be joined in Tokyo by Isaiah Jewett and Bruce Hopel, who came in second and third. Um, but so he's going to com- be competing in the 800 meters in the Summer Olympics uh, starting July 23rd in Tokyo. Awesome to see him back there again, won the br- bronze medal in the 800 back in 2016. So looking to hopefully better that, uh, better his performance here uh, in, uh, in 2021. And then in the triple jump, uh, Donald Scott, former Eastern Michigan track athlete, he qualified for the 2020 Summer Olympics as well. Uh, he is going to be, um, he's going to be, this is going to be his first time in the Olympics. So he's had, uh, he's, he's had quite a road to get here. Um, had a strong showing during the qualifying round, jumped 16.8 meters for the runner up position and a spot in the finals. And then he would jump 16.98, uh, which placed him in the final round. And then he, uh, his best gem came one attempt later, 17.1 meters to ensure his spot on Team USA. So this will be his first trip to the Olympics. So congratulations to, uh, to Donald Scott. He's also the 19th Eastern Michigan athlete uh, to represent uh, the states in the Olympic Games. So congratulations to Clayton Murphy and Donald Scott, both really an awesome story for both of them. Yeah, um, 
I was I was on Twitter and I was seeing uh, Clayton Murphy because I follow him on Twitter and he was kind of talking smack a little bit that he even did this without his like sleeve of some sort. So yeah, he must be really feeling himself. I mean, to to not only get Olympic bronze but to go back to the Olympics for a second time, maybe even get gold this time around would be an impressive accomplishment. Uh, Donald Scott, first time in the Olympics for him. Good good to see MAC athletes in the Olympics. I'm not. Sh- I don't think there's going to be any in basketball. Obviously, they already have their 12-man roster set. So, yeah, more uh, MAC representation. The, the Olympics, the better. Yeah, I agree. You love to see it, and you know, it, like I said earlier, um, or not earlier, but last week, you know, MAC athletes went and performed very well at the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships last weekend, and that that trend is continuing here this week. So it's awesome to see, uh, you know, some MAC alumni representing the 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 American uh, team on the biggest stage there is in, in, in the Olympics. And obviously they had to wait an extra year this time around since it got postponed from last year. So really excited to see uh, Clayton and Donald both perform in, in uh, Tokyo next month. Yeah. Mac athletes just perform at a high level when it matters most. That's <laughs> that's it. Take away from that. But moving on to some more EMU basketball news are, are kind of next two articles are about it. We'll start with the basketball. They added a nice, pretty solid transfer. Yeah, so, you know, we had Vanzi on last week to talk Eastern Michigan Athletics, and we talked a little bit about Stan Heath and the new staff he's bringing in and trying to reinvigorate the Eastern Michigan men's basketball program. One thing Vanzi talked about is that Stan Heath, good recruiter, is going to look for guys that fit his system. And so they've just signed here uh, James Monty Scott, who's transferring to Eastern Michigan uh, from Portland State. He hails originally from New Jersey. And uh, he's going to be a graduate student in the classroom, but this will be his senior year um, athletically. This was a guy who played really well for the Vikings last year, started all 22 games, uh, 13.7 points per game. He was an all big sky honorable mention. And he also over the course of the season surpassed the, uh, the 1000 career point uh, plateau. So um, this is a guy who's been to it. This is actually going to be his fourth different school that he's attended. This is so talk about a little bit of a journeyman started his career at Kennesaw state, then transferred to temple, then transferred to Portland state where he played this last season. He scored 1,209 points in 103 career games. So this is a guy again, 13.7 points per game last year for, uh, for, uh, for Monty at Portland State. Uh, he can do it in a lot of different ways. Three-point shooting, mid-range, get to the basket. Uh, he seems like a guy that's really an athletic guy, a scoring, you know, a guy that can really put the ball in the bucket, which Eastern Michigan certainly scored, uh, or excuse me, certainly struggled on that end of the floor last year. So I think his offensive ability will certainly be welcome. Yeah, I think as you mentioned, one thing Eastern Michigan definitely struggled with was really people creating their own shot. I think the 2-3 zone for Eastern Michigan was really solid. Their defense, even though they didn't show the best of record, I think we could say at least their defense was half decent. I think the problem Eastern Michigan had is they didn't have a lot of shot creators on this team. And it's it's nice to see um, Stan Heath go out and get shot creators like James Scott because at times the offense really struggled. He's going to be able to create his own shot, three-point mid-range, getting to the basket. He's really an athletic guy, like you said, Nice really addition for Stan Heath when he doesn't have a lot of time to prepare for next season. We talked about Rashawn Burno's kind of recruiting class and how he actually had a lot of time to recruit these guys, transfers and whatnot. Stan Heath's coming to a situation where he doesn't have a lot of time to build relationships um, 
get guys in were essentially, and obviously he's going to transfer tar, tra, or he's going to target transfers, but this is a really solid get for Stan Heath all around. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, we, we talked last week with uh, Vanzi about this, about how Stan Heath has, you know, been able to, to retain uh, the, some of the current roster, uh, some guys that initially ent- entered the transfer portal. So there's going to be some turnover at Eastern Michigan, but at, coming off of last year, you know, 311 in the max, 6 and 12 overall, there's really not many places to go but up here. I mean, we talked about offensively, you know, they only average about 70 points a game, which was 219th in the country. So, you know, you're in the bottom man, what, I don't know, bottom 20%, 25% of teams in, in points per game offensively. So I think in a, in a situation such as that, the addition of, uh, of James Scott here is going to be welcome. And we'll see how he's able to fit into the roster and what he's able to provide them in, of, in, you know, in terms of a spark on the offensive end. No doubt. And moving on to another Eastern Michigan um, story, we've got Jake Julian getting a nice, pretty award, nice award. Yeah, so um, anyone who follows college football knows that uh, Phil Steele, who is, uh, you know, he, he puts out one of those preseason um, preview magazines every year, and he selects his own All-American teams and all-conference teams and stuff like that. Well, his All-American teams got released this week, and uh, senior punter for Eastern Michigan, Jake Julian, was uh, the only Mac player that na- made any of those All-American teams. He, be- he was the fourth-team All-American punter, uh, this year uh, for Phil Steele and his team. So this is a guy that is, um, you know, he's he's really been a stalwart and a kind of a pillar of the program on special teams for Eastern Michigan the last couple of years. Uh, he's uh, tied with Rich Hanshu for first in Eastern Michigan record books with a 43.4 career punting average and ranks eighth in Eastern Michigan history with uh, in terms of punting yards. He's the only punter in Eastern Michigan history with two plus two 70 plus yard punts in his career. And through four seasons, he's had 51 balls down inside the opponent's 20 yard line to go along with 37 punts that traveled longer than 50 yards last year. Uh, he was uh, a nominee for the Ray guy award ranked eighth nationally in punting and uh, really, really has performed well over the last four years. This is a guy who actually got drafted in the CFL by Ottawa in this last season's uh, CFL draft, but decided to come back to Eastern Michigan for another season. So uh, congrats to Jake Julian, an awesome honor for him going into his, his final season of college football. And uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see what he's able to do with it and how, what kind of season he has. Yeah. And I don't know, it must be something about that Ypsilanti water because they just, their special teams for whatever reason, doesn't get a whole lot of recognition, but they put out pretty solid athlete. Jake Julian, obviously we mentioned, you mentioned CFL 31 overall preseason on Mac Chad Ryland, the, the kicker from Eastern Michigan. They just some about Eastern Michigan. They just have a really solid special teams. Special teams obviously doesn't get a lot of love because it doesn't necessarily put points on the board does more stuff off the sad sheet that that has a big impact on the game. But yeah, Eastern Michigan, once again, at it, Jake Julian, well-deserved. And, and I, I've got to ask you, Zach, do you know why the Mac teams care so much about Phil Steele? It seems like every year that I follow the Mac, they just gravitate towards his magazine over anything else. Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's a good question. I, I do know, I mean, Phil Steele, you know, that his, his preseason, like preview magazine, I, he has almost like a, I don't know if a cult following is the right word, but it's like, it's like very popular among certain people. Like most people, when you go to the store, you have like, you see like the Athlon sports preview or like the Lindy's preview, 
Phil Steele isn't, you can't buy it everywhere. And it's like, a, I don't know what the appeal of it is, but yeah, some, some specific like media outlets and teams and stuff like that really love it. The Mac, you're right. They, they seem to love his preseason stuff. I know it's, I mean, he's, he has a good season preview magazine and stuff, but I, yeah, I don't know why specifically the Mac is, you know, all about the, his all American team. Yeah. Maybe I should just start putting out my magazine and seeing if people, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, the next two articles kind of go hand in hand with the, um, we'll, we'll start first with the first one, a uh, big Supreme court court ruling, which we, I, we really don't talk about the Supreme court here on the Mac bandwagon podcast, yeah. but it, it's, it's very relevant to the Mac and NCAA in general. Yeah. So um, everybody knows about all the, the name image likeness stuff and all of the legislation that's been going on. And the NCAA has come out over the last year and said they are going to put some things in place to help um, help, you know, their players, you know, capitalize on their platform and on their notoriety. Well, the Supreme Court, this so this Supreme Court ruling that came down this week was was tied to that, but it's a small part of it. So um, so they this, this ruling affirmed a previous ruling from a, a state court that provide for an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated. And it also opened the door for future league challenges that could deal much more significant blow. So this, this ruling itself isn't saying that schools got to start playing, paying players and all that stuff. But what it is saying is that the NCAA cannot prevent schools from providing players with educational related opportunities or compensation. So that could mean, you know, the, um, you know, giving them uh, equipment like laptops and stuff like that for schoolwork. They can't, that's saying they can't prevent folks from giving players paid internships and stuff like that. So it's really, you know, this isn't, this isn't the ruling that's going to change everything, but this is like the first crack in the door where all of these future rulings, I think we're going to see build on top of this. Eventually we're going to get to the point where it's going to be, you know, some type of compensation for all these athletes. You know, I, I, I have two, two things on this. I think one, the NCAA is the only organization where everyone just teams up and just kicks them when they're down. Like it just with all like, like we did, we like, Everybody disagrees on something one form or another, but I think we can all agree that the NCAA is the most hated thing in all America. I mean, we could disagree on who should be MVP and rookie of the year and all this, but like even the Supreme Court's just like kicking them. I don't I don't think anyone disagreed with the ruling. I think it was a straight unanimous 9-0. And another thing that's interesting, you mentioned the education benefits, and one of the things I read was internships. And one of the things you can do with a loophole of an internship is pay, be paid yes. internships. And what what's to say you, like, there's not, I don't think there's, you could correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a cap, cap on how much you can pay someone in an internship. Yeah, I don't think there is. And, and so that's actually, that's exactly what I had been thinking too, Sam, is I could easily see this as becoming a way where, you know, boosters of a specific program can offer quote unquote internships to athletes to help, you know, run their business or get some experience or whatever. So yeah, I definitely do think that that's a, a, a way that this, this, you know, we'll, we'll see this in action. And I just loved, I, I agree with everything you said, Sam. I loved how strongly worded the NC, or the Supreme court's like decision was you even have the quote here from, from Brett Kavanaugh, justice Brett Kavanaugh in the article where it says, 
The NCAA is not above the law. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. He's right. He's right. The athletes make produce all this revenue for the schools and they don't get anything back. So I'm excited about what this decision is going to lead to moving forward. I think as we move towards more uh, of an overarching name image likeness kind of model and, and, you know, athletes being able to compensate it in that regard, I think we're going to start to see a lot of momentum for that here over the next couple of years. Yeah. Before moving on to the next thing, I, I think for a long time, it seemed like the politicians and whatnot were scared to do anything against the NCAA for whatever reason, for lack of term, maybe not being able to get reelected, what, whatever the case is. But now I just like the push that not only players are fighting back, uh, coaches, whatnot, are fighting against the NCAA kind of business model to the point where this is kind of a nice transition where Mark Emmert set a July target for interim rules to basically allow the NIL to um to to be enforced yeah and and the only reason that mark emmert did this is because the ncaa's hand has been forced a little bit by some of these um you know the the states that have passed their own legislation right so there's six states here uh, you got texas alabama florida georgia mississippi and new mexico they all have laws that go into effect on july 1st that would essentially undercut the existing NCAA rules, and they would allow students in those states to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Obviously, the NCAA is not going to let that fly where student-athletes in those six states can earn money off of social media and some of these other things, but not student-athletes in the other 44 states. So I think their hand is a little bit forced here where they're saying, okay, we got to put something in place here in July 1st so that everyone's playing by the same rules, and then eventually – once we have that in place, we can work towards a more permanent solution. But it really just shows me, again, that the NCAA isn't going to change until they're forced to change. And I think back to your point, Sam, about how politicians previously maybe being kind of scared to do these type of things. I think they sense that public perception has turned against the NCAA a little bit here. And so that's why you're seeing all this happen right now. Yeah. And I think what's what the kind of my mood around this is, everything seems to be going perfect like this seems like we're on the right path to do just what we what i think the consensus around in the public is and that's for athletes to get paid but i just have this feeling in the back of my mind that it's just too good to be true that come july 1st there's going to be some wording or some rule that just just messes everything up where like or the ncaa is going to implement this in a way that doesn't make sense and just for me I think for all the pushback that the NCAA has given us over the past since they've been around, it's going to be really hard for me until I see really July 1st and the, the permanent rules come in and everything seem, everything is actually as good as it seems. I agree with you. I, I, never, I never put it past the NCAA to mess something up or to take something that looks good and, 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 you know, destroy it. So I'm also curious to see what they're going to come up with here over the next week as July 1st approaches. Um, I know we all know, like they said, they're, they're already, they're even hedging their bet already when they're saying this isn't going to be a permanent solution. We're just going to put something temporary in place until we figure it out. I think part of that's probably going to be, they're going to see what they say, you know, what the public perception is of what they put in place on July 1st, and then they can make necessary adjustments from there. 
I don't know. We're going to see what this is. This is really interesting to me. I'm really curious to see how this is going to go. Uh, you know, a couple of years from now, you know, we could have, you know, student athletes at all these schools making money off of Instagram and Twitter and, and getting sponsorship deals and stuff like that. That'll be a very big change in the college sports environment. So I hope that the NCAA is considering everything to get this right the first time around. Although I don't have that much confidence in them, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no doubt. Before we move on to our kind of week one look ahead, Zach, is there any final thoughts on this general news stuff? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the big news for me this week was uh, this name, you know, the Supreme Court stuff. It's not very often you see college sports in the Supreme Court in one story, but I'm really curious to see how, the, you know, this progresses. But uh, no, other than that, I'm, I'm ready to talk some football, man. Yeah, I'm there with you. I'm really excited to see July 1st, what actually happens. But um, moving on, uh, we're going to we're going to take you through week one. It's coming. It's uh, coming sooner than we think. September 2nd is the week one of college football for the Mac. So, Zach, if you want to take us through uh, before we kind of break down week one and whatnot, like who's playing who and, and what all the, the matchups are. Yeah, absolutely. So it's crazy to think about, but we're just about, you know, barely over two months away from these first games. So, um, yeah, week one, the first night of college football season this year, Thursday, September 2nd, we got three Mac teams in action that night. We got Ball State defending Mac champion taking on Western Illinois, the Leathernecks at home at Schumann Stadium. Wagner travels to Buffalo and then Bowling Green going down to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. So three Mac teams in action there on that first night, that Thursday. Uh, Sam, nothing too crazy there for me. I think I expect Ball State and Buffalo probably two blowouts there. If I'm being honest, probably a blowout in the other direction for that Bowling Green Tennessee game. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I think these matchups are pretty straightforward. Unless Bowling Green has a complete program turnaround in the offseason, I mean, there's nothing less. Tennessee's not the best um, opponent in terms of SEC, but they're they're no joke. I, I expect, like you said, a blowout. Buffalo should be able to handle business with Wagner, even with their turmoil and uh, coaching change. And, yeah, I expect if, if Ball State to even have a remotely good season, they definitely have to beat Western Illinois uh, handedly. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, um, you know, this is this, you know, the, when you think about Ball State specifically in their week one matchup against, you know, Western Illinois, you know, this is a, uh, a Western Illinois team that was one in five last year in their spring season. Um, so nothing, nothing really to, to write home about there. If, you, if you're a Leathernecks fan, I think Ball State probably looking at a, a win there in week one. And then same thing with Buffalo. You mentioned, you know, even the fact that even the fact that they have, um, you know, a whole new coaching staff coming in, I think this is still a game or that they're, they're going to have no problem with. So um, Friday, September 3rd, there's one Mac game, St. Francis PA traveling out to Ypsilanti to take on Eastern Michigan. We just talked about a little bit. I think that's pretty similar there. See, I, I don't see any issues Eastern Michigan is going to have with St. Francis. Now on Saturday, September 4th, though, in, in the first Saturday of the college football season here, Sam, I see some pretty intriguing matchups for Mac teams. You got Western Michigan traveling across the state to Ann Arbor, taking on uh, the, the Wolverines. You got Miami taking on Cincinnati in one of the oldest rivalries in college football. Central Michigan goes down to Missouri. Akron goes to Auburn. Syracuse travels to Athens. Ohio has Syracuse at home in week one there. 
Uh, Northern Illinois going down to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech. Kent State going down to College Station to take on Texas A&M. And then you got Norfolk State and Toledo. Sam, a lot of a lot of great games there. A lot of yeah, I see a couple of chances here for for a MAC team to knock off a Power Five opponent. Yeah, taking it back to Friday uh, real fast. I think that would be the first like a hundred percent capacity game, would it not? Because wasn't Eastern Michigan a hundred percent capacity? That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I think that'll be interesting to watch just to see the crowd. I I think week one, if nothing else, in week five, there's not many people. Week one will be the most electric week you can have, even if it's St. Francis, Pennsylvania, and if Ball State allows 100% capacity, Western Illinois. I expect every former athlete, former just yeah. whatever, to come out of the woodwork to go, come to the stands in. Moving on to the, the Saturday matchups, I think – if my prediction is to come true with Western Michigan winning the MAC title, it starts with the Michigan game. And I think the one problem I have with Michigan is, uh, Zach, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're you're more familiar with the Big Ten than I am. It seems like Michigan's only focus is Ohio State. They could care less about week one through ten, but when it comes to that Ohio State game, they put their blood, sweat, tears in that. And I think Jim Harbaugh – should have been fired. I'm going to say I think I, – and I think Western Michigan, with all the talent that they have returning for how good I expect them to be, I I wouldn't be shocked for them to be able to at least keep it close, if not uh, scrape out a win. Yeah, you know, the, the Jim Harbaugh era at Michigan has been really interesting to me. They – um. You know, they had that one year in 2017, I believe it was, when they went to the Orange Bowl and beat Florida State. And everyone thought after that that, you know, this program was just going to be on an upward trajectory. But they just haven't they haven't performed to the level that everyone's expected that to, uh, them to. For the last, you know, three, four years, they've struggled to find a quarterback. They've struggled to find any type of consistency on offense in general, not just at the quarterback position. And And you're right, Sam. I mean, Western Michigan returns as much talent as just about any team in the Mac this year. You got Caleb Ellaby back at quarterback. Obviously you lose Dwayne Eskridge that that's going to hurt, but you have a lot of um, firepower back on offense. Sky Moore's coming back. You got a lot of players there still that, that are going to be able to um, I, I mean, I think they're going to be able to move the ball on Michigan and Michigan is it not a team that is known for strong offense? As I just said, they don't really know who their quarterback's going to be. There's there's a lot of turmoil on the offensive side of the ball. If the Broncos can get a couple stops in that game, you never know. You never know what's going to happen there. And I think the other interesting matchup for me is Kent State at Texas A&M. We, we know how good Kent State's offense can be. Obviously, you're losing Dustin Crumb's number one weapon. But even without him, I mean – he wasn't the only guy to score on that offense that he wasn't the only person to put up 49 points a game. So you can't tell me that Dustin Crumb can't come into Texas A&M. I always think they're in the big 12, even though they're in the sec. Yeah. It's weird having a Texas A&M in the sec, but yeah, coming into a um, Texas A&M is their head coach still Jimbo. Is it Jimbo Fisher? Or is yeah. It- he's, I believe this is going to be his third year there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, I I I I, I want to see what their defense is capable of against a a SEC offense. I I don't think Kent State can beat Texas A&M, but they could definitely put up points against uh, Texas A&M. 
I agree with you, Sam. I think honestly that, that game right there, there might be a hundred points in that game. I, Texas A&M, you know, they're, they're replacing their quarterback. Kellen Mond went to the, you know, he graduated and was drafted. So they're, they're, they're going to be looking for a new quarterback there. So there is some turnover on their offense. And you mentioned the explosivity of, of Kent state's offense. I mean, we've talked a ton about it on this call, this podcast already. They have both of their, their running backs back from last year, Marquez Cooper and Brian Bradford, both of them averaged over five yards a carry as did Dustin crumb. I mean, he averaged five and a half yards a carry. Um, obviously, you know, I losing Isaiah McCoy hurts, but you got Deshaun Polk and Isaac Vance and the rest of your receiving quarterback. You uh, add in Naheem Hines, the transfer from Syracuse, a lot of, uh, a lot of intriguing matchups there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. The other one that, you know, I've talked, I talked about Syracuse at Ohio a couple weeks ago. I think Ohio has a real shot to win that game. Dino Babers is in on the hot seat at Syracuse right now. And, um, not much has gone right for the Orangemen. Uh, in the last couple of years since Eric Dungy left their program, you know, as he was their quarterback the, a couple of years ago when they had a good season. Um, I also think Central Michigan going down to Missouri, Jim McElwain, you know, traveling back into SEC territory after having been the head coach at Florida. That's a game that intrigues me. If uh, if Central Michigan gets some things figured out on the offensive side of the ball, Missouri is another program that's not in the best shape right now that, you know, you never know. Central Michigan goes in there with a good game plan and plays well. They could steal a victory from the Tigers. Yeah, I'm with you. Starting off with that Syracuse-Ohio matchup, you mentioned Eric Dungy. I think Syracuse fans would not like nothing more than Eric Dungy to play 10 years for Syracuse. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering why they don't hire him as the offensive coordinator for how much they, they love him. But, uh, yeah, moving on to that Auburn game, I as much as I like Akron and I hype up Tom Earth, it's, I, I don't think Akron has a chance to be Auburn. And then the Central Michigan at Missouri – I, I like this matchup, but at the same time, watching Central Michigan last year doesn't give me a lot of confidence moving into this year, especially against a uh, another SEC team. And then moving on to Miami at Cincinnati, I don't think there's a chance that Miami stays in this game. I think Cincinnati, whether you think they should have been in the college football playoff or not, they proved they were for, they were for real. I don't expect anything different this season it's going to be a tough matchup for the Red Hawks. And yeah, I expect, I expect Cincinnati to be able to be able to handle business here. I, I agree with you, Sam. I think, you know, as much as Miami has a lot of, uh, you know, returning firepower and a lot of players, they're going to have a good season. Um, Cincinnati's in that same boat, right? They finished in the top 10, top 12 last year. And uh, they got Desmond Ritter back, a quarterback, a bunch of you know, returning uh, starters on their defense. Luke Fickle's done a great job building that program. So yeah, I don't think saying that they don't have a chance in that game, that's not us, you know, being negative towards Miami. I just think Cincinnati's in a really good place right now. I think that's a group of five team right there that could challenge for the playoff this year. And, and one, one thing I'll finally say on this, the Norfolk stay at Toledo. If Toledo's does not win against Norfolk State, I want <laughs> to be fired and just, just run out of town if, if they can't be Norfolk State. You know, I think that if uh... – if Toledo loses that game to Norfolk State, I don't think Jason Candle will make it back to the locker room after the game. I think they'll fire him on the field. Maybe that's just me. But, uh, no, I don't see Toledo having any problem in that game. But if that were to happen, you're right, that would not be a good look for Coach Candle, especially in a season like this where he needs to make a statement. Uh, yeah, but before we bring in James, Zach, is there any any final thoughts on week one that you have? 
Uh, nothing, nothing too much except for just the fact that I, it needs to get here. I'm ready for some football. You know, this summer is cool. We got the European soccer championships on right now. And then we got, you know, the, uh, the, the Olympics starting next month. So it's a little bit better this summer than most summers, but it's still, I'm just counting down the days until football starts. So I'm ready for these games to get here. Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, but yeah, um, we will bring in James for another, um, or, uh, what is, uh, we will bring in James for the Why Are You a Fan segment. Again, if you missed last episode, basically this is just us taking us through uh, kind of different um, Mac fans. Why Are You a Fan? Kind of talking through the the sports, especially the football and basketball, and just like any other thing around being a Central Michigan student, alum, fan, just whatever, whatever um, we come up with really. But yeah, and we'll bring in uh, James right now. Welcome back to our final segment of the episode. We are on the Why Are You a Fan segment, as I explained earlier, where weekly we are bringing a fan of respective Mac schools. We did Vansy with Eastern Michigan last week, which you can listen to on last episode. And this week we did Central Michigan. So we brought on our good friend and um, creative director, James Jimenez from Hustle Belt. James, how are you doing on this fine day? Hey, I'm doing just fine. It's been a gray couple days out here you know, uh, rain, cold temperatures. So just been staying inside and enjoying some coffee. Made some chili yesterday. It was a great time. Very nice. I also made dinner earlier. It was a mix, mix. It was a, like a messy mix of like sausage and then microwave vegetables that I just had to throw together. So uh, interesting combination, but hey, it's dinner. What are you going to do? That sounds like a, sounds like a peach collegiate bachelor meal if I've ever heard one. Yes. I will admit I messed up. I was going to have scrambled eggs with it, but I messed up the scrambled eggs. So how do you uh, mess up scrambled eggs? I, I didn't like beat it like enough, like whisk it enough. And it, it just, it just was a mess. So I just threw them out. Uh, what are you going to do though? But uh, moving on to this. Uh, say, you, you make better scrambled eggs. <laughs> I, I, I it, then it was actually coincident enough. We didn't have any more eggs. So. I just, yeah. Oh, man. But, uh, James, let's kick it off with the the question we uh, started off last episode in. How did you become a fan of your Mac school? Well, this, this is a fun story that I tell all the time. But uh, suffice to say, I did zero college prep when I was in high school. I got around to my senior year and realized, ah, crap, I, I need to choose a school at some point, you know? And uh, I guess the, the fates intervened because uh, in the middle of my college recruitment process, my advisor came to me and she said, uh, the same advisor, by the way, works at uh, CMU's athletics department now as, a, as an academic advisor. Uh, she came to me and she was like, oh, James, uh, have you heard about this particular scholarship that Central offers yet? And I go, well, no, Miss Walker, I haven't. And she's like, well, I can get you in there, but you have to go to Central tomorrow. Because it was one of those that like, you have to go to the campus and like do some interviews and yeah. write an essay and stuff like that. It was, it was a person-to-person thing. And I didn't know about it until like the day before the thing was supposed to happen, and they happened to have a vacancy. So I went down there, you know, my first time going to Central, and... It, it was so it was so cool like just going to a going to a campus with people that i knew and 
like really getting to meet people like professors that I'd be talking to a lot in the future one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, I did the essay, I did the interviews and I came back and I'm like, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to, you know, move on to the next round or whatever. So I was, uh, taking on offers from other schools. I think I had at least half of my scholarships covered at Texas Christian to go into their teaching program. Interesting. Uh, I think Western wanted me at their honors program as well. They were willing to offer scholarships. Uh, I think I was getting a couple smaller schools like Madonna and Concordia and Hope, which are all like local Michigan area schools in the, in like the Detroit suburbs. But uh, uh, Calvin, yeah, Calvin, Grand Rapids. But ultimately, like, you know, it came down to it and the choices were between Central and Western because I had made it to the second round of both of those. And it turns out that like Western wanted me to come on campus for a weekend, but that same weekend happened to correlate with my all state choir performance in Grand Rapids, which is like 30 minutes away. And like being there, like it was like, my goal from like my freshman year to make it to the all-state men's course i had finally made it and western was asking me to come onto campus and you know not perform you know to be able to do that and so i you know i said screw it you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go perform and i'm gonna take my chances with this other school and sure enough uh, central gave me the call a couple months later and said come on down you're gonna have a full ride scholarship so you know i jumped up and down did, you know, did the happy dance, all of that, and I went with the school that chose me. That's a really interesting story. So really kind of just by, by circumstances, you ended up at Central Michigan and obviously uh, became a huge fan, um, having you know embraced the traditions and the, and, and the culture of, of the teams there. I know you're a huge fan of I support all the teams. Um, how would you, now that you've been a fan of CMU now for, for a number of years, how would you describe the the Central Michigan fan base as a collective, as a whole? Is it is it a or is it an impatient fan base that's looking for quick success, or kind of what are their expectations for the athletic program as a, as a Central Michigan fan? It's really interesting because uh, a little bit of background into like the happenstance of ending up at Central. I moved around a lot as a kid. I was an AB kid, so like I didn't I wasn't able to settle anywhere until I was about ten years old, and that's when I ended up in Northern Michigan. And, you know, a lot of kids that graduate from my high school and want to go to college, you know, they either end up at Ferris or they end up at Central. Uh, Ferris is out west for those who aren't in the know. I think it's in, it's just outside, it's Big Rapids, so just outside of Grand Rapids. Uh, so in terms of the, but back to this, in terms of the culture, like a lot of the people that, you know, I ended up with at Central were, you know, kids like myself, you know, coming up from the north or up from the UP all finding a place to kind of discover each other together. You know, you have a big pocket of Detroiters, obviously they do a lot of recruiting in Detroit, you know, both for athletes and otherwise. Uh, actually, we actually had a pretty decent Chicago base for a while, because I think there was a program back when I was a student where they offered Chicagoans a local rate. This was before I think they flattened their rates back in the day. But in terms of the fan-based culture, it's really interesting. Uh, as far as as far as I've seen, it's 
I don't really know how to describe it other than like a high school level of pride. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like they'll come out. Like we're we're coming out. It's a it's a civic pride kind of thing. Like Mount Pleasant, when it has its student population, basically it explodes in population every year. Like CMU is more or less Mount Pleasant. And so like you go there and you know it's kind of it, it's a civic to do like we go out there because we want to cheer for the students and in terms of success we like success and i think we're fairly successful in every program so well uh, well most programs I should say, like wrestling is consistently ranked in the top 25 gymnastics is consistently ranked in the top 25 baseball is baseball's an ncaa tourney or bus team most every year you know, football is always competing for the Mac West. Basketball's basketball's been basketball on the men's side, but our women's side, that town comes out in force for the women's side. And like that's how I like football is my first love there, but it was really like going to the women's basketball games that really defined like my definition of that fandom, if that makes sense. It's like you know, we, we talk about all the time this thing of casual fans, you know, who just come out for like a half and then leave versus, you know, diehards. And, you know, every base is going to have its casual fans. But like those diehards that do stick around and program, you know, they're not impatient. Like I find Central to be a, re a reasonable fan base amongst all the Mac schools. And I think it is because, you know, of the environment in Mount Pleasant. It's a, it's a true towny civic environment that I personally really enjoyed when I was down there and still do when I go there to this day like you know the town never changes you know the the university has you know aesthetic changes but like the culture is still largely the same down there and it's something that I always enjoy coming back to in the seasons and it's something I really missed last year when you know they had the you know the pandemic season yeah and and talking more about the fan base how do you how do you guys view Greg McElwain? Obviously, you had that great success in his first year. Second year, obviously, COVID messed things up. And and from there, how do you view him after uh, kind of one and a half to two years later? Well, I, I'm trying to remember what I talked about it at the time. But uh, Jim McElwain was a huge coup for a program of central size. And so expectations are pretty immediate. Like we were, where ex we were expecting to win a MAC title this season, and so it was really disappointing that we weren't there this year. But I think I think part of that was that we peaked the year before, like because we didn't expect anything in the nineteen season after winning one game the previous year. But then suddenly we were the MAC West representative in the title game, and we were you know, one wild throw away from possibly coming back to win the MAC championship game. I was there in person as a fan, and I could feel my heart being torn out from under me, you know, as I watched Quentin Dormady just get plowed into the ground for, you know, several drives. It's like, we're rabid. We come out, we come out for winners. Like, we come out regardless, but, like, we especially come out for the winners. And Jim McElwain is really establishing a culture of accountability and a culture of winning that might have been missing, you know, over the majority, at least my fandom, like dating back to 2011. And I think that's something that fans in Mount Pleasant 
really respect. Yeah, you know, definitely. If, it, sorry, uh, even if like the results of last season weren't quite to where we wanted to be, I remember expressing many frustrations about like what they were doing, especially on the offensive side of all. But like we understood that last year is going to kind of be a lost year anyway, that that roster is still in the middle of a transition. And, you know, we were just kind of happy to have football around really at that point. So, you know, Jim McElwain, just really respected. We know he's good. You know, we hope before he leaves that we'll have a Mac title in hand. But just the fact that we're competing again is already a success in and of itself. Yeah, certainly. And and it, it definitely seemed like Jim McElwain, and especially the, the 2019 season from two years ago, it seemed like it kind of re-energized the fan base who did had become success, you know, uh, what's how's how to say it? Um, they become accustomed to a certain level of success and competitiveness. And obviously, the two years prior to Jim McElwain coming in um, weren't up to those standards. So now that the program is, you know, has gotten back to that point of competing for MAC championships, and now that fans are going to be back in the stands this year, hope you know, hopefully, we, some MAC schools have said that, some have have not said anything yet. But on a, in a in a normal year on a game day, let's you know maybe it's a you know a, a rivalry game. You know Western Michigan's coming into town. What's the game day atmosphere like at Kelly Shorts? Any cool game day traditions or anything like that that you guys have going there in Mount Pleasant? Oh lordy, uh, Kelly Shorts on a game day is uh, seventh heaven for someone. Like me. <laughs> uh, I remember. Because uh, I lived on campus the first three years, so I would walk from the north campus, you know, all the way out to south, because the because the stadium is out towards it's like the tail end of Central's little campus out there, and so it was about a twenty minute walk, you know, from from north campus to the other side, and like you would just see like this flow. You know, kind of, kind of like blood veins almost. You would see like this kind of flow from all the dormitories coming out and then all this like slowly walking in the same directions, you know, uh, walking across, uh, I forget the name of the street by now, uh, walking across Stadium Street, I think, or Broomfield, across, across Broomfield, you know, to get to the stadium. That was always so cool. And then my senior year, I purposely like bought an apartment that was a block or two away from the stadium. So I could just walk through the stadium and like hear the stadium, see the stadium like all the time. And that was something that was really cool too. But uh, the tailgate atmosphere at Central is bar none. You'll see people coming out there, God, probably five, six hours before the start of the game, just, you know, pitching up their tents, you know, in, in the grass lots outside the stadium. You'll see, and they're, and, you know, you have the student-designated tailgating as well, like right next to the stadium. And that place will be packed. Uh, if we're talking about like a 3 o'clock start, that place will be packed at 10. With just students out there partying and having a great time, you know. And they'll, and they'll, still, they'll still be out there, too. Like, it'll be the middle of the first quarter, and you still have students out there just <laughs> hanging out and, you know, listening to the game as it comes through on the speakers. Like, it's, it, it's a hell of an environment out there uh but in terms of like the official tailgate the quote unquote it's actually kind of cool uh they just recently put up a tailgate village up on the hill uh, i don't know if you're familiar with uh 
central topography. But if you look on Google Maps, there's like this kind of hills slash lake area, I want to say, on one side of it. And recently, like, they partnered with Fabiano Brothers, the local uh, alcohol distributor down there, like, put on these this really cool concert series and to have, like, these tents for people to come out and, like, try the latest, you know, latest and greatest in alcohol and food. And you'll have, like, your local radio stations popped up there. And there's always a bunch of cool free activities. Uh, I know in the, in the Bon Amiga era, at least, I'm trying to remember if they still do this with McElwain, the students would walk from the dormitories and like come up through that part, you know, like in their in their warm ups and like the coaches would be in like their suits or whatever. And it was really cool to see them walk through and you could you know, the band would pipe up and start playing and you know, you could like come up to the lines and say, Hey, you know, go on you guys and you know, they'll cut through there and then into their locker rooms which are uh, just off to I think the left of the stadium over at the IAC. Although that might change now that they have that big old championship center. Uh, but below that hill, there's another row of tents. And those are all the family tents, so like the families of the athletes. And so when these athletes are coming down, they walk through that little, that little strip and all the families come out and they're wishing everyone luck and there's hugs and everything. Uh, it, it's, it's really cool. I'm walling up just thinking about it. But, you know, the, the environment is top-notch out there. It's just a... It, it's, it's a lovely environment. I miss it a lot. Very nice. And, and we had, and you were actually co-hosting the episode where it just happened that Tony Barbie got recently hired and we talked, uh, talked about your perspective, your recent perspective, just hearing about Tony Barbie being hired, but looking back on it a few months later and it just kind of take us through what your thoughts were then, if your thoughts have changed now and just uh, for anybody who missed your thoughts on the Tony Barbie hiring what are your thoughts now oh lord uh you know got to hear all my thoughts from back there i recommend listening to whichever episode that is you know but i'll, I'll suffice it and say i'll shorten up and say basically like i didn't understand the hire at the time you know but i see that they look at this kind of like i would think they look at jim McElwain as a as a reclamation project and you know, he seems to have hired some really good staff and they're bringing in some pretty good kids so far. So I, there's nothing I can complain about in terms of what they've done. You know, I'm at the point of the process where I need to start seeing what the product looks like on the court before I can like really, you know, judge Tony Barbie as a candidate. And, that, and that's where I am, more or less. This is kind of how I felt when we let go of, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm struggling to remember right now. The coach before Keno Davis, you know, we're Ernie Ziegler, where we let go of Ernie Ziegler, and I was like, oh, woe is us. You know, we're not going to have anybody around that's any good. And then, you know, we brought in Keno Davis, and within one or two seasons, we were one half away from going to the NCAA tournament for the first time since, like, 2003. So you just have to learn to be patient with these kind of things. You know, like, there's always going to be your immediate reaction of, ah, shit, like, this sucks, like, why are we being in this retread, you know, like, his last did and end so well, you know, you tend to look at the negatives of something, but, you know, at some point, you have to reevaluate and look at what that person did do when they had success, you know, with certain resources, and then you look 
and then you just say, okay, you know, like, I'm ragging on him too much for something that happened, you know, seven years ago. You know, maybe I, maybe I should ease up on that. He's probably learned something at this point that will help him moving forward. So right now I'm just at that hopeful stage. I just want to be able to watch CMU basketball again. I, as, as, as basketball, that is. Women's basketball is great. They're fine. They've yeah. always been good. As a Penn State basketball fan where we're often terrible, I, I, I feel your pain there, James. I do. Um, so you, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned women's basketball, you mentioned wrestling earlier and, and a lot of the women's teams, I, I feel like a lot of the Olympic sports or, or quote unquote non-revenue sports at Central Michigan are very strong. What team within the CMU athletic program to you is, is the most exciting or perhaps doesn't get as much credit or publicity as you would like? Gymnastics, easy. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you, I can tell you some stories about that. I used to, back when I was a student, we don't do it anymore for obvious reasons, but like there is two or three years, I think, where we did rumble and tumble, which is where they split off one side of the arena with wrestling and the other side had gymnastics. And they would have two meets going at the same time. And it was, it was, it was cool as hell. Like being able to like sit there and you know like oh there's a wrestling match happening over here you know they'd have a break and then you look over here and it's like oh they're doing the high beam or the, the high beam you know the pommel you know they're doing the pommel over here and oh man that's really cool you know like you get your split attention there but like the gymnastics meet on its own I remember going to those I went to I went to several of them and. When, that, when they have the full attention of the arena and they have all the space, you can see all the events happening at the same time. The scores are coming in in real time and like updating on the board. You can see the judges like going through their boards and you know turning them around to reveal them to the audience. And you know when the floor exercises start up for you know one of our tumblers, you can hear the audience just go and like start up these like coordinated cheers. And it was really cool when you would get like swept up in it because it really is a sport that lends itself to like an incredible energy when you're there in the arena that you might not capture when it's on TV. Because you know, like gym is also one of my favorite events to watch during the Olympics, precisely because of like the technical aspects of putting your body through those types of rigor you know, in multiple disciplines. Like, it's just so cool from a sports standpoint. And it's so cool to watch on TV. But when you get into, like, the arena and, like, actually see it in person, it just amps it up to, you know, a whole other level. And Central's program has been traditionally successful, which also really helps. So we generally qualify at least one gymnast to a regional or national tournament every year, if not more. So, you know, there, there's something to follow in that aspect i remember i used to watch uh i used to uh, mark on the calendar cmu versus kent state every time that meet would come up because oh buddy that was one of the fiercest like fiercest rivalries i think i've seen at any level in terms of like talent and animosity and respect very uh very interesting and and i'll give you an easy question for your for the next one who's Who's uh, your favorite current Central Michigan player and any uh, past Central Michigan player? You say that's easy, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> because it really, it really depends on like what the definition of like a favorite player is. 
you know, is it a player that's both really good on the field and, you know, as a personality off the field? Is it someone that maybe doesn't get a lot of field time? But, you know, it's just really fun to talk to. Uh, Got to think on this a little bit. Uh, in terms of on-field, like, talent currently, like, Khalil Pimpleton is wonderful. Uh, I've had the inter- uh, opportunity to talk to him, you know, at media days and, you know, kind of get to know him that way and seeing him on the field. He's really active on Twitter, too. He's a big cheerleader for you know, both CB football and other sports on campus as well. He's got a smile that lightens up a room. You know, he's, he's not a big guy. He's like five eight, five nine, but he has a he has such a commanding presence, just with the uh, the way he talks. He's he's a he's a real charmer. He's uh, someone that you would definitely want to get to know, you know, if you ever had the opportunity to do so. He's the nicest guy around. I I have nothing but positive things to say about Khalil Templeton. Uh, in terms of like some other players that I followed in the past, like as a student. I've always had a weakness for uh, Braylon Rayson, who was uh, the point guard. I think he started, yeah, I think he got, came on campus in the last Ernie Ziegler year. And, you know, I got to see him every year that I was a CNU student, basically. So he was like a one steady rock that took me all the way through there and like even after, like the first year that I left as well. like. You know, like, Braylon was an excellent point guard, but, like, when Marcus Keene came around, that really unlocked, like, a lot of Braylon's potential as well. It, 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 just an incredible player. He could shoot three, shoot the two. He had a great eye for the pass, and he was just somebody... Uh, I'm trying to remember who it is on the SMA. It's, like, you know, the, the all-dark alley team. Like, these are these are guys you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley because they're just they're so tenacious and physical and again just another one of those smaller guys you wouldn't have any taller than like five nine five ten at that position and he would just you know bump up forwards out of the way to get layups and he was really he was a dog on defense like those are the kind of players that like define college basketball like Braylon Rayson to me is like the guy that defined CMU basketball when I was going there as a student uh in terms of like women's basketball players Crystal Bradford, just an amazing player. Like, I think she was the first CMU player to ever be drafted in the WNBA. Just had every tool that you would want in a basketball player. Just could turn it, turn it on at any time. And, like, when like when she was at the top of her game in the biggest moments, it's like, your eyes are on Crystal Bradford. I talked about uh, Philip Pimplin, his commanding presence. Her commanding presence on the court, just a, just a complete assassin. Just, like, you couldn't take your eyes off, right? I keep saying that whenever I talk about it, but you could not take your eyes off of Crystal Bradford. Like, she was that good of a basketball player when she was at Central. And that makes me really happy for her now, because uh, she's with the Atlanta Dream, I think, at last check. And that was after, like, six years of being lost in the wilderness of overseas basketball because she got she got drafted by the Sparks and didn't make that roster, you know, and I bet that had to be devastating, you know, to finally make the dream and then be cut so soon in the season. And, you know, she worked her way back up. She's finally got a spot and she's in a role now that like really plays to her way of, you know, 
her way of being on the court, and that makes me really happy for her because you know she's worked really hard to get into that position. Awesome, awesome. Uh, last question I have for you, James, and if if Sam has anything final to close out the show, uh, you, so Sam mentioned your your favorite, you know, as you talk about your favorite athletes in your time at CMU. What about if you could think back to your time as a Central Michigan fan? What is the best game that you have attended in any sport as as a Central Michigan fan? Oh boy! <laughs> see, I see. I thought about uh, when I was coming into this interview. I was like, oh, you know, I'll just I'll just pop in and you know speak off the top because I want to seem too canned or anything like that. Now I'm realizing at this point, it's like, oh, maybe I should have had something ready <laughs> right here. But uh, goodness, uh, probably one of my favorite moments was my last game as a fan. It was uh, the day that we clinched the regular season Mac West Division title in 2015. It was my senior year. You know, it came down to the wire in terms of if we were going to win the Western Division or not. And, you know, it was one of those things where, like, we won our game. And it was a really close game. But then we had to turn around and look at the video board and watch a game. And so we were sitting there cheering. I don't remember a particular game we were watching. It might have been like Bowling Green and Kent State or something like that. But we were cheering for the side that we needed to win. And sure enough, that side did win. And as soon as that side won, like the entire arena just burst. You know, in this one loud cheer. And you had the basketball team, of course, like sitting amongst the student section at Merrick Arena, just waiting to be able to cut down the nets at that point. And we were all, and like when that result came in, it was just tears just all over the crying, you know, like this is the perfect way to go out, like as a CMU fan, ready to take on the world, you know, in a couple of months, you know, dressed up and, you know, dressed up to the nines, I always was. And I was just a puddle. I was an absolute puddle of tears in that game. It was just such a cool moment to be able to do that. Uh, another favorite game I was a loss we had, actually. It was when Kentucky came to came to Central uh, for women's basketball. And that was one of those uh, back and forth games. Another one that went down to the wire, Crystal Bradford, you know, picking up the rebound at the end, needing, needing two to tie and three to win. She picks it up, heaves it from half court, and like just bounces off the, the rim. And it's like, oh, you know, like it would have capped like a huge comeback rally. But it was really cool because, you know, at halftime, uh, we did some coordinated cheers for a CMU commercial, and we got in. So I, so you could see my face like very briefly on CMU commercials for like oh, three or four years after I graduated. It was really cool. Then another game. Uh, you know, actually, now I think about it, this might be my favorite game. It had within 2012 or 13. We were bad, <laughs> really, really bad. It was uh, Ball State versus CMU in men's basketball. I had a broadcast law exam the next day that I was supposed to be studying for. Yeah, sorry, Dr. Orban. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll go to the basketball game. I need to, like, blow off some steam, right? And these games typically start at 7 o'clock, you know, local time. So I walk, you know, dead of winter, you know, 20 minutes across campus to go to this game. I must have been one of, like, four students 
him in the student section that night. And that game ended up going to triple overtime. These two teams could not win the game to save their lives. Like, they, they were that bad. They were like, you know, uh, how many teams? Like 12 teams in the Mac? They were 11 and 12. They were not good. <clears throat> you know, but this was, you know, this is the game I think that like really sealed it in my heart that like Raylan Racing was my favorite player because, you know, he had, he had a fantastic game up to that point. But in that third overtime, like, he decided, I've had enough and scored like five or six points in a row at the start of the third overtime to just kill it, to end the game. And I was, I was, of course, like the only fan left at that point in the student section, just spinning around, absolutely delirious and screaming that we had gotten this effing win because holy effing ass, like we, we won this game. Yes, 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 yes. Just screaming to myself next to the pep band and, you know, singing the central fight song by myself to this, you know, CMU crew that couldn't have had any more than like 12 wins that season. You know, just goodness. Like I, to this day, I talk about that game. Like it was, uh, like it was Indiana state, Michigan state, the NCAA championship, just, just absolute scenes. Like, you know, that, that's probably my favorite game of all of them, which is surprising because, you know, I've gone to so many CMU football games. You would think it would be a football memory, but like that basketball memory where it was just like a arena of maybe a couple hundred people in it. It's probably one of my favorite memories as a fan. And like, that's even before getting into like my first ever football game against South Carolina state, you know, when I realized that, oh man, like I'm a college student now, I guess it's really cool that I get to experience all this, you know, for real. Or the Cooper Rush game, where like I was introduced to Cooper Rush and he led this huge, I think it was like a 17 point comeback drive to beat New Hampshire because we were threatening to be upset by them, like on our home field. And, you know, it was pouring rain, Ron Caluzzi. A true freshman kicks through the field goal or kicks through the extra point to win the game. And it was just, ah, oh, man. So, so many memories at Central. And, you know, it, it's just, I'm, I'm welling up again. Sorry. <laughs> just, it's so cool to be in a place that is out there with the big boys, but is still like, in this small town that is filled with a fierce pride in their school, but not an unhealthy pride. It's a, it's a pride that has reasonable standards and expectations and a, and a reality, I think, that's missing from a, a lot of other fan bases, I feel. Now, now, if anybody out there listening is thinks that I'm talking crazy talk, feel free to comment on at Mac underscore bandwagon or at Puzzle Belt and tell me how wrong I am. But like that's that's just how I feel, more or less, about like, us as a fan base and why I'm a fan of Central. Because ultimately like Central chose me. And so I feel that like as a result of that, like I have to give my all into like being a great ambassador and a great fan back 
to it, to thank the university for everything that they were able to give me. And I guess that's why I'm a fan. Very nice. And awesome. Go ahead. No, 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 I was just saying that was that's awesome. I love to hear that. And uh, last question for me, James. Um, any, I asked this to Vansy last episode. This is kind of my closer. Any undercover place to buy like nice Central Michigan gear slash relics, like a local Walmart, a, a secret Goodwill that you can find like throwbacks for? Ah, oh, man, it's a, it's a tough question. Because, uh, the place that I would have recommended back in the day closed down like a year after I left. So I'm trying to think of any other places that could I, I know there's CNO, which is out on Mission CNO Sportswear that has that has some like unique local stuff out there. But that wasn't that wasn't my first go to. There was there was a different place, uh, just outside Marzalier, which was the hall that I stayed in on North Campus. It was kind of a corner bookstore that I don't remember the name of. Excuse me. At the moment, that was like the first place I ever went to to like buy central stuff. That little corner store uh, across from Kaya Coffee House, which directly looked at Warner Hall and like the the famous, you know, bell tower building. But yeah, see, you know, see, you know, sportswear really good out there if you're looking for some more unique finds. I know they, I think they do a lot of their print stuff, print screen stuff, personally, out there. Uh, no, of course, every place has the local Walmart. You can go to the local Walmart and get something. Uh, CMU's bookstore, of course, has uh, like it's an actual book, you know, the actual bookstore at the university center, like on campus, has a really great selection for like any sport you could possibly think of, you know, any style you could possibly think of. You know, like a Nike and the Adidas, and you know, the Under Armour, you know, your brand royal loyalty. You're free to be in the brand royalty out there right now. Actually, I'm wearing uh, a CMU like sideline shirt. I guess that was the style that they like the coaches wore and everything back in like 2014 and 15. So yeah, it was a pretty penny to get, by the way. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple handful of places in Mount Pleasant, but like the place that I would have recommended sadly like closed down in I want to say 16 or 17. It's too um, bad. That's too bad. But, uh, yeah, James, uh, tell the people where they can uh, find you. Uh, they can find me personally at, at AV King James on Twitter. That's about where I am anymore in terms of putting out the takes. Uh, hopefully going to start cooking up some hot CMU previews here within the next couple of weeks. We're already getting to that point of the season again. I've been on a bit of a hiatus admittedly because you know we had to work through that pandemic doing basically every season at once and it got to be a bit of a burnout but i think i've had enough time you know to come back and reevaluate and you know start looking at football again i've been doing picking up a lot of different hobbies since then uh one of them being uh sim racing i've picked up sim racing last night was uh the first night i ever won a league race in formula one at Suzuka International Circuit. That was a great time. And then I've also gone and picked up the habit of uh, translating and localizing fan games as well. So 
maybe I'll start posting some of that stuff up when it starts becoming more relevant on Twitter. But yeah, that's where you can find me anyway, at AV King James. And of course, you can find my work on Central at Hustlebell. Very nice. And, and you can follow James, as you mentioned, at, at AV King James on Twitter. And again, like he said, all his Central Michigan stuff and other Mac related um, articles on uh, hustlebell.com. Um, but yeah, that will end this episode. Um, Zach, we, we talked a lot uh, on this episode, episode 51. Any final thoughts for the people? Uh, no, nothing from my perspective, man. Excited uh, to see where this, uh, you know, the NCAA, you know, the, the court rulings from the Supreme Court, what, what happens with those and as that progresses. Uh, looking forward to football season, as I mentioned earlier. It can't get here soon enough. And uh, big thanks to James for, for stopping by and talking a little Central Michigan with us tonight. Always a great conversation when we have you on, James. Because I am always happy to come on, you know that. Awesome. Yeah, and as Zach mentioned, big shout out to James once again for coming on this episode. Next week we'll have another uh, guest on from some Mac school. We'll, we'll decide from there. We had Eastern Michigan again. Uh, previous episode, you can go check that out. On episode 50, we had Banzi on, so you can check that out for the Eastern Michigan side. But, yeah, that'll wrap up this episode episode 51 we hope everyone has a great week and we'll talk to you guys next Friday.